This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be at. We are winding down our series in in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've been at it since the beginning of last year. We're just going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. As we get down to the end of it here, I'd say we've probably got three, four weeks uh, max left in this passage. And so it's been exciting. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at huikala.org. We also have an app for your phone or your tablet you can download and listen to that way. Uh, we're on iTunes uh, podcast. Uh, we have a SoundCloud channel if you want to do that. Whatever you do, just stay caught up. Uh, it'll help you, I know for sure. This is message number 50 in our series. And so I would encourage you, if you've missed any of the messages, uh, stay caught up. We find ourselves in the middle of probably one of the uh, more popular passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Uh, we teach this a lot of times, sometimes to our kids, uh, the armor of God. And sometimes in kids' class, they'll make the different parts of the armor and they'll talk about them and things like that. Uh, dozens or uh, really uh, hundreds of thousands of messages probably have been preached to this particular passage of scripture, uh, very popular. But one of the things we need to do is not just hear it, we need to apply it. And so we're going to take a look at today and how we can apply this passage of scripture that talks about the armor of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse number, let's say verse number 10 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Last week we took a look at preparing for spiritual battle, and that's where we find ourselves in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, the word wherefore means, so because of this, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." As I was reading through, um, I was reading through the book of Psalms this past week, and as part of my daily Bible reading, and uh, just a lot of the different Psalms talk about the battle that David's involved in, and, and how his enemies are around him, and how they're coming after him, and how uh, he has the, the faith to stand uh, in because of what God has done for him. It says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and into Him we can run. The Lord is our rock and our strength and our salvation in difficult times. And the the Bible talks a lot about battle. And sometimes people get into uh, the Christian life and they think that now that I'm following Jesus, everything is going to become easier now. Everything, all my problems go away. Sometimes, unfortunately, people come to church because they want church to fix their marriage. Uh, And they think, well, if I'm going to church, then my marriage will automatically fix itself. That really just isn't the case. Uh, Maybe if I come to church, all my problems will go away. It's not really the case. Maybe if I decide to follow Jesus, I'll get that promotion that I've been passed over for a couple of times. Probably not going to happen that way. Uh, hey, maybe if I come to church, all my financial problems will go away. That doesn't really happen either. 
Now, again, God has all of the answers for those things, and if you need help in your marriage, one of the best things you can do is, is be in church and follow God's word. Uh, if you're struggling with your finances, the best thing you can do is, is follow God's plan for finances, for sure. But the idea that following Jesus makes all of our problems go away is not a biblical idea. That's why Paul says uh, in this passage, verse number 10, he says, finally, my brethren. Now, the whole book of Ephesians, he's written a letter to the church at Ephesus. He's been telling them who they are in Jesus Christ. You were once dead in your trespasses and sin. Now you're alive in Jesus Christ. Now that you are following Jesus, you live differently than the rest of the world does. Here's how you live your life. Here's how you walk with God. Here's how you treat your coworkers. Here's how you raise your children. Here's how you treat other people. Here's how you show other people the love of Jesus Christ. And he gets down to the very end and he says, now finally, here's your marching instructions for the battle that lies ahead. Because the Christian life doesn't make all of our problems go away. It just gives us new tools to fight with. Think about that for a second. The Christian life doesn't make all of our problems go away. It just gives us new tools to fight with. And that's why I think it's so incredibly important as you read through the Psalms, uh, they're Psalms of lament, uh, where David or the psalmist that writes these Psalms is very uh, down in his spirit, very discouraged, very frustrated. There's other times where uh, the psalmist is on the mountaintop. God's name is, is higher than any other name and God is greater than any other God and God is good all the time. And then there's other psalms, the psalms of battle, again, where he talks about uh, times of difficulty and, and fighting and warring against enemies. And that's why I think throughout all the psalms, Psalm 23 stands out so stellar. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You, you prepared me a table in the midst of mine enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, amen. And we look at that and they go, oh, wow, what a sweet psalm. What a psalm of calm and encouragement. But if you read all of the, the psalms that surround Psalm 20, 23, they're psalms of war, battle, discouragement, frustration. But in the end of every psalm, this is what I love about every psalm, even though it starts off really badly, the ending is always good. He starts off saying, God, where have you gone? Why do you forsake me? Why do I call out and you never hear me? But I will trust in the Lord. Because we have to understand that at the end of the day, you might be having a crummy day, but at the end of the day, you have to remember God is always good. And God is always faithful. That's the story of the entire Bible. So when we come into opposition, when we come into spiritual battle, when we come to a fight, when we come to a trial, how do we get through it? We put on the armor of God and we prepare to fight. We prepare to hold our ground. We prepare to draw on the strength of God who promises to work all things together for our good and for his glory. But here's the thing. The Christian life is not a matter of when you will face difficulty or not a matter of if you'll face difficulty, but when. Every single one of us will face trials, temptations, spiritual battles, every single one of us. The primary difference is what happens when those things come. It's not so much the fact that they will come because they are. The question is your reaction to those things that come. 
Unfortunately, I've had the opportunity, or fortunately, I've had the opportunity to pastor for, for six years of who we call a Baptist church. Six years in October, I can't believe that. But unfortunately, over six years, I've pastored people who have faced spiritual battle and they quit. They gave up. It says in uh, verse number, uh, verse number uh, 14, stand therefore. That word stand means to not give up an inch. It means to hold the ground that you have. And unfortunately, I've seen people when spiritual battle comes, not stand with their feet planted, not giving up an inch. They'll give up six inches and they'll give up another 18 inches. And before you know it, they give up 10 miles. They just quit. And they're not in the battle anymore. They just gave up. They threw the white flag and they're done. And they're not following Jesus anymore. They're not in the battle any longer. They've given up hope. We can't afford to do that. The question is for you this morning, when spiritual battle comes, and it will, spiritual battle for some of you is gonna come before the day's over. Just know that. Some of you have already been engaged in spiritual battle already this morning. Some of you are gonna face it first thing tomorrow morning. The question is, how will you respond? Will you be prepared for it? Will it take you by surprise? Will you be unprepared for what lies ahead? One of my jobs as a pastor is to help you prepare for the day that you stand before God and that you would stand before God with joy, not disappointment. That's my job. And so I want to guide you and lead you into the greatest spiritual fruitfulness that you've ever possibly imagined in this life so that when you stand before God one day, you can stand before God with joy. Hey, I didn't live a perfect life, but I was faithful. I probably could have done more, but I did my best. And I stood firm on God's word. That's what I want to help, want for you. Unfortunately, and I'm just going to, to be honest with you this morning because I love you. There's people in this room that are not going to go the distance in their walk with Christ. They're going to quit. I hate it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it, and every time I see it, it discourages me. It frustrates me, but I know this God's faithful. Tell him I'll call him back later. Tell him I'm busy, I'll call him back. <laughs> every single time I see somebody quit on Jesus, it hurts my heart because I know where it leads. Angela and I, um, when we had moved to Lancaster, California to go to Bible college, we got plugged into, it was called the young couples class. And the funny thing was the young couples class, as people got older, they weren't young couples anymore, so they ended up re renaming the class to something like True North or something like that. I don't know what it was called. But we weren't young couples anymore. But there was probably, I don't know, 15 or so of us uh, young married couples at the time, and all of us had kids that were little and stuff like that. And probably one of the hardest things of that group of 15 or so folks that were together every single Sunday, praying together, knew each other's kids, grilling burgers over each other's houses and stuff like that, to see now, fast forward, uh, I don't know, 15 plus years later, the number of couples that aren't together any longer, the number of couples that have remarried unbelievers, the, the folks who have uh, had affairs and children out of wedlock and marriages fell apart. And to look down at that group of 15 or so, I would guess probably maybe seven, maybe eight of them are still in church, still married to their spouse, still serving Jesus. It's like 50%. So if you and I think to ourselves, well, that's not gonna be me. Careful, be careful with that. The Bible says, he that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. 
you think that's never gonna happen to me, be careful because it's gonna happen to you. Have you ever looked at somebody and say, how could somebody be so stupid? And then you go and do the exact same thing. <laughs> Isn't it funny? It's always easier to point out the flaws of other people than it is in your own life, isn't it? It's always easier to look at other people and go, oh, look at how they're doing things. They're a mess. And then you go and do the same thing yourself. None of us in this room are exempt from quitting on Jesus, myself included. I can't tell you how many pastors I've seen that give up on Jesus. That's discouraging. I can't tell you how many pastors I see that fall into sexual sin. It's discouraging. But you know what? I can't look to other people for my encouragement. I have to continue to look up. I want to encourage you to continue to look up. Continue to be faithful. That's why he says, stand. Don't give up an inch. And if I look you up in 10 years, whether you're here or whether you're someone else, somewhere else, I want to know that you're still faithful to Jesus, still walking with him, still serving Jesus with your life. That's what I want for you. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I want one of, one of these days when we get to heaven, after we praise Jesus and, and sung at the throne of Jesus Christ, what a day that's gonna be. And maybe we can uh, see each other in heaven. We can high five and maybe have uh, grill some burgers together in heaven. I don't know. We'll have Chick-fil-A because everybody knows that's the Lord's food. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But think about this though. The people that you're seated here with this morning that know Jesus Christ as their savior, these are who we're gonna be spending eternity with. And I want us to all get there and not just get there by the skin of our teeth, but to get there with joy. Oh, man, living for Jesus was great, but spending eternity with him is gonna be so much better. Get there with joy. But let me just tell you this, it's gonna be a fight. It's gonna be a battle every single day. The devil doesn't take a day off. Your flesh will not take a day off. So we have to be ready at all times to fight. So take a look at this passage of scripture this morning. First of all, I want you to see this. When fighting spiritual battles, we need the entire armor of God. Take a look at verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. I don't need part of the armor of God. I don't need to say, well, I'll take the, the, the shield of faith, but I don't really need anything else. Well, I'll, I'll take the, the belt of, of truth, but I don't need anything else. I'll, I'll take the, no, the whole armor of God. It's a package deal. You need all of it to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And again, we need the armor of God. We don't need each other's armor. I don't need my own armor. Well, I got my own thing I'm, I'm doing over here. I don't really need, you know, nope, the armor of God is what I need because the battle can only be fought in the power of God. I'm not strong enough to make it on my own. You're not strong enough to make it on our own. We need the power of God for this battle. Again, people that fail in spiritual battle are people that rely on their own strength, on their own instincts, what they think is best. Well, I know the Bible says that, but that doesn't necessarily apply to my situation or apply to me. We run into trouble when we think we can stand in our own power. You see, our greatest asset is our faith in the word of God. As we take a look today at the beginning of the armor of God, it says having your loins girt about with the, the, uh, with the truth of God's word. We sometimes refer to this as the belt of truth. But it's trust and faith that the word of God is sufficient. 
This is why you need to be very, very, very incredibly careful, extremely careful with any teacher that casts doubt on the word of God. Well, the Bible says this, but I don't think that's really what it meant. Be careful of, of statements like that. The Bible says, but that's a really uh, old section of the Bible that we're not really sure that that's exactly what it says. Be careful of stuff like that. Well, this isn't really the word of God. It's more the thoughts or the, the guidelines of God. No, no, no. Be careful of that. Anyone who says that the Bible can't be trusted is not a true, faithful Bible teacher. And beware of them. Easy way to spot a false teacher. What do they say about the Bible and what do they say about Jesus? Those will give away a false teacher every single time. And, and let me just tell you something this morning. Our faith is in the word of God. This is it, the Bible. This is where our faith rests. Outside of the Bible, we have no faith. Because the Bible tells us who God is, what he expects of us, who his son was, and what the death of Christ has done for us on the cross and how that has freed us from the penalty of our sin. All that's found in God's word. And if we don't have this book, we don't have a leg to stand on. So, you and I must believe the word of God, not the thoughts of God, not the ideas of God, the word of God. We believe the word of God was given to us by God himself, every single word of it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration means God breathed. God breathed every single word in this book and it's all important. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So every bit of this book is incredibly important. And when we begin to doubt the word of God, we have no faith in anything else. You see, the Bible tells us in uh, Romans chapter one that God's revealed himself unto all people so that they're without excuse. God's revealed himself in creation so that everybody knows that there's a God. But how do we know that God? We need specific revelation as found in God's word. You and I need the Bible to guide us through life. It's a gift that God's given us. That's why when it comes to, to spiritual battle, Satan's favorite tactic is to cast doubt upon the word of God. This is one of the number one ways that the devil will get you, cause you to doubt the word of God. This has been his trick from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He said to Eve, hey Eve, why don't you have some of this fruit? And she said, well, we can't. The, God says in, in the day that we touch it, we'll die. And the devil goes, did God really say that? Maybe you misunderstood him. God just doesn't want you to eat that because when you eat it, you're gonna become a God like him and he doesn't want that. Immediately causes Eve to cast doubt on God's clearly revealed word. And there wasn't any wiggle room, like maybe God meant that, maybe he didn't know. God spoke it audibly to them. Don't eat of that fruit. Anything else you can do, it's all yours. Just don't eat of that fruit. And Satan, from the very beginning, causes, causes Eve to say, well, maybe God didn't really mean that. And the same tactics are in play today. Well, I know I shouldn't do that, but my situation's a little bit different. I know the Bible says that, but that doesn't necessarily apply to me. And again, be very wary of anybody who ever says, well, the Bible was written thousands and thousands of years ago, and that doesn't really apply to situations today. Ah. <coughs> False teacher. You know why? The Bible says the Lord's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
God never changes. His expectations never change for us. He expects his people to live according to his clearly defined word. And Satan causes us to doubt God's word. For some of you here today, you might be on your faith journey trying to figure out if this whole Christianity thing is for you or not. Just know this. Faith is the only thing that can save you. A belief in God and his word and his promises is the only thing that can save you. But the devil's gonna continue to lob seeds of doubt your direction. How can you really believe this? Who really knows that the Bible's true? Maybe it's just a bunch of stories made up by a bunch of guys throughout history to cause you to, to believe in something. Maybe religion is just really a crutch for weak people. Maybe this, maybe there's nothing that happens after we die. Maybe it's just like turning the lights off in a room and they're just off. Maybe we just uh, go back to the state that we were before we were born. Maybe we're reincarnated. Maybe there's something else out there. Maybe there's not only one way to heaven. Maybe there's multiple ways to heaven. What if we're not alone? What if there's aliens out there? What if the aliens are in control of us through the Bible and all this other? Hey, look, we can what if all day. But where does your faith lie? Unfortunately for many people, their faith lies in their own understanding and their own reasoning. Well, this just makes sense to me. Oftentimes I'll ask people, hey, if you die today, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Most people that I meet would say, I think so, I think I'm pretty sure. Based on what is the question? And, And no lie, people that don't know the Bible or don't know a lot about religion, nine times out of 10 will say something like this. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Pretty good. And so when I get to heaven, I think God will see all the good that I've done in my life and it will outweigh all the bad that I've done in my life and then I'll get to go to heaven. Okay, that's, that sounds reasonable, right? Most of us would agree that that's reasonable because that's kind of how we think. Joe over here is not a, not a really great guy, but he's not that bad of a guy and so he's decent, right? We, we have our own way of measuring the, the goodness of a person. Okay, so based on what? Well, I just believe that's how it is. Based on what? Well, that's what I think is fair. Okay, got it. What about what God says? God says that there is no scale in heaven. God says that at your hearing, you come in and you're already declared guilty before you ever even show up. Well, I haven't done that much bad stuff. No, The Bible says if any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. Have you ever broken one of God's commandments? The Bible says if you have, you're guilty of all of them. And you stand before God guilty. And your sentence has already been determined and it's death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that just doesn't mean we're gonna die physically one day, but the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then after that, the judgment. When you die and when I die, all of us will stand before God, every single one of us for judgment. And the Bible says that our judgment is already prepared, death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. We deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell that burns with real fire. The Bible calls this the second death. That's what I deserve because I've broken God's law. The wages of sin is death. But I don't know about you, but the idea of spending eternity separated from God in hell is not very appealing to me. 
And God, because of his love for me and love for you, doesn't want you to go to hell, doesn't want you to be separated from him, doesn't want you to have to pay for your own sins. So he said, I'll send my son Jesus to pay for your sins. And here's the story of the entire Bible boiled down into about 45 seconds. I've broken God's law, you've broken God's law. Every person in human history since Adam and Eve have broken God's law, we deserve to go to hell. God loves you too much to allow you to do that, so he sent his son Jesus to pay for your sins. Jesus never broke God's law, therefore he owed God nothing and could pay for the sins of mankind. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and God said his sacrifice was enough to pay for the sins of mankind but you have to make that payment to your account. You have to have that payment applied to your account. And I need to be forgiven of my sins. And friend, Jesus is the only forgiveness that you or I could ever hope to have. You see, some people try to cover up their sin by doing good stuff. I know I shouldn't have done that, but I'm gonna do something good in return. I'm gonna take all this junk that's been in the closet, and I'm gonna drop it off at the goodwill. That's my good deed for the week, right? I'm going to, when you check out at the uh, uh, Safeway, I'm going to give an extra dollar to help uh, whatever's going on, puppies in need or something like that, whatever the, week, the charity of the week is. And here's the thing, they get you at that thing to make you feel guilty. You know that, right? Because they go, would you like to help uh, kids in need? No. And you, uh, okay, press the button. And you have to press the button that says, no, I do not want to help kids in need. <laughs> what kind of terrible human being has to push that button? No, I do not want to help kids in need. Wow. And so then you sit there like, oh, I don't want to press the button, but like my own kids are in need. <laughs> no, uh, I'm good. But like some, some people think, well, I do that. I press the yes button every time, and, and that makes, it, it makes adds me somewhere. Uh, every time I go and they ask, you want to give $5 to make one of those hot air balloons it puts on the wall? Yes, I choose yes to that. And so all of my bad will be covered up by all of my good. God says it doesn't work that way. God says it has to be paid for. And the only way to pay for it is death, yours or Jesus's. And if you would be willing to admit today, I have broken God's law, I need to be saved from my sins. The Bible says that Jesus's sin, uh, sin payment can be applied to your sin account. And it's the only way to heaven. Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The way, the truth, and the life. So what does the devil do? The devil wants to cast doubt on the truth. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? All world religions are pretty much the same, aren't they? Every world religion has some, or every world civilization has some story of some great flood Every world civilization has a story of some person who came and set everything right for everybody, right? Aren't all religions just kind of the same? Don't all roads lead to heaven? How about if you're really sincere about your belief? Doesn't that count for something? The Bible says no. The Bible says the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. But the devil wants to create doubt. You see, Satan... Satan's tactics in verse number uh, uh, 11, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles or the schemes of the devil? Satan causes us to doubt God's goodness. I don't know about you, but has there ever been a time in your life where you've said, God, if you're really good, why is this happening to me right now? Ever had that happen before? I have. Our daughter, McKeeley, she's, um, she's gonna be 11 uh, 
in two months. Can't believe it. But when she was one years old, we got a, uh, when we took her to the doctor. She had some medical problems, and the doctor came in, and he said, hey, you need to push for further tests. They're probably going to send you home, but push for further tests because I've seen this before, and it looks like lymphoma cancer. One years old. Wow, that's not good. And I remember for a split second in my mind thinking to myself, God, I'm trying to do everything right. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to share my faith. I spend time in the Word every day. I spend time in prayer every day. I'm trying to serve you in my life, and this happens? Really? And the devil causes us to doubt God's goodness. But then when I got my head on straight, I prayed about it a little bit, spent some time in the Word, I realized every day that I have is a gift from God. And if God gave us this sweet little baby that's going to be gone in a few weeks, months, years, I don't know, that's a gift every day that I have with her, and so I see that now as a blessing. But Satan wants you to doubt God's goodness. Is God really good? Satan creates trouble that causes us to forsake obedience to God's word. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you say, I know this isn't right, but my situation's different. I know this isn't how it should be, but please know this. Anytime you say, I know what the Bible says, but just stop yourself because whatever comes afterwards is the most foolish statement that you could ever make. I know what the Bible says, but that doesn't really apply to my situation. I know what the Bible says, but that was a really long time ago. I know what the Bible says, but my life is different. I don't know if you have me have teenagers, but teenagers are always the exception to the rule, right? Oh, well, that doesn't apply to my situation here. That doesn't apply to this. Satan causes us to forsake obedience because our situation's different. Satan creates doctrinal confusion and falsehood. One of the greatest things that is troubling our nation today and really the world and Christianity as a whole is false doctrine. A belief that God exists just to make you happy. And if you're not happy, healthy, and wise, there's something wrong with you. If you read the Bible, that couldn't be further from the truth. Even churches today that say that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. He's just one of the many paths to heaven. Just know that that's satanic in nature. Any church or religious organization that causes you to think that there's another way to heaven outside of Jesus, that there's a detour around Jesus and still get to heaven, know that that is satanic in nature. The devil put that together. Satan hinders our service to Jesus. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts says, hey, I wanted to come and visit you guys, but the the devil hindered us. And whatever that hindrance looks like to you, Sometimes people think, oh, I'm, I'm sick and so I can't serve Jesus, something like that. Many times Satan puts good things in your path. I've known people that have left a good, solid Bible preaching church and moved to a city where there is no good, solid Bible preaching church for an extra $10,000 a year. Well, it's, it's a better life, cheaper, uh, cheaper cost of living. I, I can buy a bigger house over there. Great, where are you gonna go to church? Well, I don't know. I'm sure there's a good church out there somewhere. Hmm. Be careful with statements like that. I want to know people when they move, where are you going to go to church? That's the first thing you need to think of. I'm always encouraged by by people who send an email to to who you call and say, hey, we're moving out there six months from now and I got questions about your doctrine. Hey, love it. I talk all day about stuff like that. Why? Because they're thinking ahead. And the devil will hinder you, not always by making things difficult for you, but I've seen more people ruined by prosperity than I have being broke and bankrupt. Next, Satan causes disunity in the church. 
Huikala has a zero tolerance policy on gossip. If I hear about it, I will squash it with a quickness. If there's a problem in our church where it's gonna get solved immediately because disunity tears churches apart. And it's just not gonna happen. It's satanic in nature. A strong Bible preaching church that is unified and everybody's on the same page together, loving and serving one another like family, the way that we should be, that is a force to be reckoned with. But a family that's splintered and, and disunified and angry and, and petty with one another, that's easily defeated by the devil. Next, Satan emboldens us to trust in our own resources. I got this, I don't need to pray. I got this, I don't need the Lord's help. I don't really want to mention this in my connect group. I think I've got it under control. I'm struggling with sin, but I think I, I, think I can, can overcome it. I don't need to reach out for help. Next, Satan attacks by leading believers into hypocrisy. I want to stop for just a minute and define what the word hypocrisy means. Sometimes people think, uh, well, I'm a hypocrite because I go to church, but I still sin. No, that just means you're a believer. <laughs> that means you're alive. That means you still have a pulse. Because you and I will continue to sin until the day we see Jesus. The idea is not that we'll be sinless, but that we will sin less is the idea behind it. That's called sanctification, and it's a process. It doesn't make you a hypocrite when you come to church on Sunday morning and you try to do your best this week, but you mess up. Because every single one of us is going to do that. Every single one of us. This guy included. Hypocrisy is when you know you're being a fake. You know you're putting on a show. You know that there's something in your life that's not right. You're not willing to make it right. You're going to continue in sin. But you come to church and you put on, the Bible word for hypocrisy means one who wears a mask. You come to church and you put on a fake show. And you say, praise the Lord. Happy to see you. Glad you're here. Amen. Wasn't that great this morning? Oh, wow, amen. And then you go back to your sin and you take off the mask and you're who you really are, but then you come back to church and put the mask back on. That's hypocrisy. And know this, that's satanic because it's duplicitous as well. And Satan loves to get people into hypocrisy. And we can't afford it. So be aware of that. Know that the, the devil's gonna do that. Next, Satan glamorizes worldliness. I have a uh, love-hate relationship with social media. It's mostly hate. Uh, but because here's the thing. Every person you look at on, on Instagram, you're never as good looking as they are. You never go the places that they go. You never get to do the things that they do. You never have the type of skin or the type of body or the type of car or the type of clothes or the type of kids that they have because you'll never be that good. Or you spend 30 minutes making up a fake version of yourself to post online to make yourself try to look that good, right? Like, I've seen people in real life and I've seen them on the internet. It's just like, those are just not the same people, right? I don't know what kind of filters you use on your stuff, but you're not even, it's not even close. What the world? Why? Because we all want to fit into the mold of what this world says is acceptable. And Satan glamorizes that. And know this, Christians are not exempt from this. You see, pastors with uh, big, huge, fancy cars or big, huge mansions or, or brand new designer this or designer that. And Christians aren't exempt from that. But know this, what the world has to offer pales in comparison to what Jesus has to offer every single time. And we need to be careful as parents those of you that have children, that we lead our kids away from worldliness and into Christ-likeness. 
I, I feel like raising boys was a little bit easier than raising girls. I've not finished raising girls yet, uh, but uh, my daughter, Makili, is uh, uh, going to be 11 again uh, this fall. My daughter, Tallulah, turns two uh, this year. But I got to be on point making sure that my girls don't follow the way of the world. That when we take them to, uh, oh, I hate to even say it, Forever 21, um, that I say, hey, these are the acceptable things to wear. All of this stuff is off limits. All of it. I've got to lead my family into what's right. Because they're going to look at stuff on the internet. They're going to look at stuff at the mall and they're going to say, why can't I have that? And the devil wants to tell you, the grass is greener on the other side, but know this, there's nothing over there but fake plants. It's all fake. Here's the real stuff. It was interesting, I read um, an article uh, several, uh, I don't know, probably nine months or so ago, where Kanye West had been talking with somebody on a television show about his addiction to pornography. And I thought to myself, here's a guy who's married to a woman who makes a living flaunting her body, making herself sexual to be appealed to so many people in a sexual way to the world, yet her own husband would rather look at pornography. And I think to myself, the girls that idolize and adore this and want to be that don't understand what's going on on the real. They just see the fake stuff on the internet. They don't know what's really going on. And let me just tell you this, any woman who hears her man declare on, on nationwide television that he's addicted to pornography, a part of her dies. Just know that. Because it's perverted what God said is real. What God says is true. Sex inside of marriage is a beautiful thing. When we take any sexual activity outside of marriage, it destroys the beauty of it. But the devil wants to say it's normal. People laughed at that. They go, ha ha. Everybody looks at pornography, even Kanye West. Ha ha. It's not funny. The devil wants you to think it's funny. The devil wants to normalize sin. It's one of his tactics. Satan also encourages us to disobey God's word. Again, anytime you go against the Bible, you're gonna lose 100% of the time. Mark it down, write it down. When I go against the Bible, I will lose 100% of the time. It never ends well. So how do we combat this? First of all, we have to know the word. <clears throat> Verse uh, 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Loins girt about with truth, sometimes referred to as the belt of truth. In biblical times, here's how it worked. Everybody wore these long flowing robes. Uh, with the, what, nobody wore shorts or pants or anything like that. They wore long flowing robes. And so for guys, or ladies, I guess, whenever you decided to go and get stuff done, you would take your, uh, your skirt or your, your robe that you have, and you roll it up, and you would tuck it inside your belt so that it didn't hinder you as you moved about. Guys, when they got ready to go to battle and got ready to fight, they took it and they rolled it up, and they stuffed it in their belt there, and that's called girding your loins, I remember as a kid thinking to myself, like dudes wearing girdles. Guys don't wear girdles. What is that about? It's not a girdle. It's like a belt. They roll up their, roll up their robe, tuck it in there, and that means it's time to get down to business. Our, our modern day equivalent of that would be rolling your shirt sleeves up. So when guys were getting ready to throw down, they would gird up their loins. Hey, let me move this back so it doesn't hinder me while I take some guy's head off, right? That's what the idea is. 
If one was going to run, before they would run, they would take their, their robe, they'd roll it up, and they'd tuck it in. I'm getting ready to, to move. I'm getting ready to get down to business. And I need to make sure that I'm prepared for that. It was step one. Because if you try to run in a robe, you trip over yourself and you fall over. You try to wear a robe in battle, you're, you're done already before you start. So step one is making sure that you're ready. Another passage of Scripture, Paul says, having the, the loins of your mind girt up, preparing your mind for battle. First thing that you do, the belt of truth. So here, we have to know the word of God. The word of God is what's going to help us prepare for battle. You can't do anything until you, don't, until you know the Bible, simple as that. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. Discipleship is learning what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I say this probably, uh, I don't know, 75% of every Sunday out of the entire year. Because Christians need to know what they believe and why they believe it. And let me tell you this, because my pastor said so is the dumbest reason in the world to believe anything. Because you flip on so-called Christian radio or so-called Christian TV and you're gonna have people telling you a ton of stuff that has nothing to do with the Bible. So anytime you hear me or any other Bible teacher tell you something, you need to say, hey, show me where that's at in the Bible. Give me a good Bible principle that I can latch onto with, and to put with that truth to apply it in my life. And here's the thing. If Satan knows the word and how to twist it, we must know the word and how to keep it straight. If Satan is a master at twisting the Bible around to fit into his sin that he wants to catch us in, if he's laying a trap for us that we're gonna get caught up in, we need to know what traps are. And we need to know, well, that doesn't really apply to this situation. If the devil's gonna know the Bible, we need to know it better. We need to know exactly what it says and how it applies to our life. And that comes through study. That comes through discipleship. This is the first step in the preparation for battle. Before we do anything else, we gotta get ready to fight. How do we do that? We have our loins girt about with the belt of truth, with the truth of God's word. The belt of truth holds everything in place. Again, the Bible is our foundation for our faith. The word of God is the foundation for our faith. Belief in the word of God, that is the entry level for the Christian life. And let me tell you this, if you don't know the Bible, and if you're not leaning on the Bible, you are not prepared for battle. You're gonna get wasted. First chance you get, you're gonna get wasted. So we gotta be prepared. Next, we have to obey the word. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is obedience to the word of God. So the belt of truth is knowing the word of God. The breastplate of righteousness is obeying the word of God. Now, this righteousness is not our own self-righteousness, like, oh, I'm gonna try to be better. I'm gonna try to be good. The righteousness that it's speaking of is being in obedience to the word of God. The Bible is true, and I'm gonna to follow that because that's gonna protect me. Now, the breastplate of righteousness is incredibly important. You might could, could say in battle, well, I can do without my, maybe my shin protectors. I can maybe do without gloves or something like that. The breastplate was one of the most important parts. Why? Because it covers all of your major vital organs. Hey, you can have the best helmet in the world 
and the shiniest sword anybody's ever seen. You take an arrow or a, a sword to the heart, you're done. There's nothing anybody can do to save you. And let me tell you this, if you want to disobey God's word, there's nothing anyone can do to save you. You wanna go your own way, you wanna do your own thing, you're free to do that, but just know it will not end well. Obedience to the word protects my heart. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. I've gotta protect my heart because the rest of my life follows my heart. I was reading the book of Luke this morning and Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That my heart leads so many things in my life, so I've got to protect it. How do I protect my heart? Obeying the Bible. Well, no, but that doesn't really apply to our situation. Just obey the Bible. I can't tell you how many dating couples I've encouraged not to live together before you get married. And they say, well, pastor, you don't understand. It's really expensive in Hawaii. Okay, <laughs> hey, I get it. I get it. I got a big family living in Hawaii. It's expensive. I know that. But I also know that honoring God is the best way to go. Well, pastor, I know we shouldn't be having sex before marriage, but, but we've been married before. We're a little bit older or something. I, hey, I know you got reasons why you think it doesn't apply to, to you, but just know this. When you don't do that, you're not protecting your heart. Disobedience to the word of God is the quickest way to fail in battle. Quickest way. So obedience protects my heart. If we fail to protect our hearts, we will be easily defeated and quickly. In the battle, spiritually speaking, the devil wants you to disobey the word. And if he can do that, he's done. If you can walk out without your breastplate on, you're so vulnerable that anybody could take you out. And if you choose to disobey God's word, you will be defeated easily and quickly. Lastly, disobedience to the word cannot be excused or taken lightly. Can you imagine a soldier going into battle in shorts and a t-shirt? Whoa, 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 you're not allowed to go out there like that. There's enemy fire out there. There's people who want to take your head off out there. Oh, I think I'll be all right. No, 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 you can't. This is why when we see one another disobeying God's word, we can't take it lightly. This is a big deal. You're going into battle without a breastplate on. You're exposed. You will fail. You will fall. You will die. And we can't take it lightly. We have to prepare ourselves. And let me just tell you, there's gonna be times that the Bible doesn't jive with what you wanna do. I get it. Been there, done that. But God's ways are always best, guaranteed, every single time. Final thoughts today and we're done. First of all, how do we prepare for battle? How do we gird our loins with God's truth? How do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? First of all, commit to discipleship. Again, discipleship here at Huikala, kind of the on-ramp is a 14-week class that we teach, but that's not the end of it. If you've completed discipleship, you haven't finished discipleship, you've just begun it. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this means reading good books that talk about how to walk with Jesus. This means being around other Christians who are going the same direction that you are. This means learning from God's word every opportunity that you get. This means being in the Bible every single day. That leads to next, commit to being in the word daily. If you wanna be prepared for the battle, you need to read the manual. 
Our military doesn't let a single person out into battle without training them appropriately first. Some of our guys, even this weekend, are in training exercises. If something bad happens, here's what we do and here's how we get through it. Why? Because training's so incredibly important. For you and I, our training manual is the Word of God. If you read the Bible, you'll realize that these battles that you're facing aren't new to you. They've been around for thousands of years. If you read the training manual, you'll see that, that you're not the first person to experience sexual temptation. It's been happening for thousands of years. You're not the first person to be disappointed by coworkers or family members. It's been happening for thousands of years. You're not the first person to experience a situation where it would be more convenient to do the wrong thing than the right thing. And if you read the Bible, you're like, okay, I know how to do this. I know how to respond to this because I've read the manual. Next, commit to obeying what you read. <coughs> I met a guy when we were first starting who we call a, uh, he lived across the street and uh, he came by one day and was talking to me about uh, what he does and uh, he was uh, a doctor and I began asking him about his training and stuff like that and he said, well, actually, I, I used to, to be training for ministry. I said, really? He told me about the school that he went to and he says, yeah, I actually have a, a master's degree in biblical languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. No way. Yeah, so he began to tell me all about that and different things. He says, yeah, and I had a, a minor in a such and such theology or something like that. Said, wow, that's fascinating. This guy was more educated in the Bible than I would ever hope to be in my lifetime. I said, well, where do you go to church? <laughs> he laughed. He goes, man, I haven't been to church in 20 years. Hmm, got it. Well, what's your plan for life? Well, I'm in the process of buying a bar and uh, running a bar and stuff like that. Hmm, gotcha. Well-educated in the Bible, far beyond anything I would ever know, not obeying the Bible. The Bible says we shouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And here's the thing. You're gonna see stuff in the Bible that you don't like. That leads us to next. Uh, uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, next, commit to being in church every opportunity that you get. I need to be around other folks that are in this fight with me. I need to be around other soldiers that are in the trenches with me. I need to be with people that are walking the same walk, fighting the same fights that I'm fighting. The fight was never meant for you to take on a solo mission. Think about it this way. If a soldier is, is, is guarding the military territory that we have and he sees an enemy coming, does the soldier leave his post and go out and take that guy one-on-one? -on -one? Heavens no. What does he do? He calls for backup and gets the whole crew involved. And they send out the cavalry and obliterate this guy, Right? But many times you and I think to ourselves when we see sin or temptation coming, we run out there without the armor of God on, roll up our sleeves and go, all right, let's fight, let's get this done. Then we get smoked. We need other Christians. We need a family to have our back. I was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago and I said the best thing that you can do in the world is get yourself plugged into a church family. That's different than attending church services. I'll say that again. Being a part of a church family is different than just attending church services. Big difference. And every single person in this room, myself included, needs a church family. Next, commit to obeying what you hear even if you don't like it. Angela and I probably, uh, it's probably 18 years ago now, we heard a message about obeying God's word and, and she and I went forward at, at, at the invitation. We prayed at the altar. A simple prayer. We were baby Christians. We were newly married. We didn't really even know what we were doing. But we prayed and said, God, if you ever tell us to do something, we'll just do it, no questions asked. Simple prayer, massive ramifications. Because along the way, God says, hey, you need to change that. And I remember I already made a promise. If God says to change it, I'm just gonna change it. 
If God tells me to do it, I'm just gonna do it. Regardless of what I think or what anybody else thinks, I'm just gonna obey the Bible and you'll never go wrong. And again, when you begin to make excuses why you have to remain in sin, you're not obeying the Bible and you'll never see God's blessings upon your life the way that you should. Final thought, surround yourself with people who will call you out when you're out of line. I need to be around people who say, hey, I don't think it's something that you wanna do. I'd be careful with that. I have people like that in my life, men in this church who are, are men like that for me, who say, ah, I don't know if I'd do that if I were you. We need people in our life that say, hey, I haven't seen you at church in a couple of weeks. Is everything okay? Hey, I noticed the other day in church that you weren't singing at all, at all. Is everything all right with you? Hey, I, I noticed... Like, the whole time you sit in church, you sit there with your arms folded. You seem like you're mad. Everybody who's sitting there with their arms folded right now just went like this. <laughs> I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm really, I'm good. Everything okay? I need people like that. You need people like that. Because here's the thing. We are not good self-regulators. We're just not. We need encouragement. We need accountability. We need help. And God's given us the help that we need as part of his family. The most important thing in the entire world. If you're here today and you do not know for sure when you die, heaven is your, your home. Please don't leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. Because the Bible says not only do you not have the power to fight these spiritual battles we've been talking about, you're actually fighting on the other side. You're against God. So don't leave here today until you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that you are saved and forgiven of your sins. But for those of us that are here today who say, I'm a child of God, I'm saved. Let's get ready for battle this week. I need to know the word so I can obey the word. I need to watch out for the devil because he's a stinking liar and he doesn't take a day off and he's coming for my throat. I'm ready for that because I'm prepared for battle. And when you see somebody struggling in the battle, put your arm around him and say, hey, can I pray for you this week? Hey, let's get together and grab coffee this week. I wanna hear what's going on with you. I'm worried about you. Hey, maybe you see somebody who's doing well in the fight and you say, hey, I'd like to get with you later and just kind of, Hear your thoughts on how you're doing so well. How have you gotten victory? Because I want that as well. We need each other because that's what it means to be a part of a church family. Let's get ready for battle because we're going to face a fight this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.